All right, we're back with Firefighter Kingdom. I'm your host, Robert Sanchez. I'm here with uh, Dennis Lawson, president of uh, Washington Council, State Council of Firefighters there in Washington State. Uh, 33-year firefighter um, there in Washington. Uh, Dennis, glad to have you on here. It's always an honor talking to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, brother. Hey, Robert. Hey, thanks for having uh, extending the invitation. Uh, as you mentioned, I've got 33 years on the job, I'm getting ready to start my 34th year. Uh, I'm currently a battalion chief here with Central Pierce Fire and Rescue, just outside the city of Tacoma. Uh, second generation firefighter. My dad worked for uh, Tacoma Fire, local 31. My brother is down south in Vancouver, Washington. Um, you know, married, couple kids, uh, enjoy really the fire service a great deal. I spent most of my entire fire service life part of my local, local 726. Um, actually the, the year I got off probation is when I started in on the, my board and I've been on my executive board, uh, for, well, I guess it'd be almost 33 years now, pretty dark, or getting ready to start my 33rd year. Uh, I've held all the different positions concurrently, like you described state council president. We represent right around 8,500 firefighters here in the state of Washington, 127 locals. Geographically, we've got 11 uh, executive board uh, members and secretary treasurer, Greg Markley and myself are the two principal officers and an office in Olympia, which is our state capital. So pleasure to be here. Hope that uh, gives you a little idea of who yeah. I am. Nice. Congratulations, man. So yeah, thanks, man. I bet you're, uh, you're anxious to retire and <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure if your, your, your wife is, if she wants you home so much or not, but yeah, thanks Robert. Yeah. <laughs> She'll probably <laughs> agree with you on that one. So I know, I know you're a hardworking man and uh, glad to have you on. And I appreciate uh, for being on with us today. Um, just, you know, being a friend, being a friend, uh, you know, and just having the, the, the honor to teach with you um, with the IFF is, you know, I, that's why I brought you on because I knew you'd be uh, a person with, with uh, a lot of knowledge on the early COVID-19 um, issue that happened. And not that you really wanted to, the guys that kind of got thrown in your guys' plate there in, in, uh, in Washington State. You know, so I just wanted to, so in early February, you know, I know you guys got hit pretty hard, you know, specific to uh, the Kirkland Fire Department there. Um, tell me about how, how did they, how did they, uh, when they got hit so hard, how did they deal with it? I mean, we're, I mean, we all say we're ready. You know, we all prepare as firefighters. We all know the training we go through and we come out of the academy. We do all these trains and we think we're ready to go. But sometimes, you know, you get ready to go and you kind of get hit in the face with a hammer sometimes, you know, and it just happens. You can't prepare for everything. That's exactly right. In fact, uh, it was interesting because you mentioned Kirkland and really what happened was it was a Friday night and uh, you know, before we actually got the, I mean, the news went bad and Friday night we had planned to meet with the, have a conference call with the general president and some leadership back at the IFF. And then before Saturday morning and, that, and the Friday night conversation was going to take place was regarding the first death, what they described in the, you know, the first U.S. death. And it happened at a nursing home here in Kirkland, Washington. And before, I mean, it was about 3 a.m., things went completely sideways because we, at that point in time, we started to put our firefighters in quarantine. And I think, uh, you know, just to make sure everybody understands, but we had a couple different words that we were not familiar with, quarantine and isolation. And quarantine was, you know, for those folks who were initially exposed and isolation was for those folks then who had tested positive. And in Kirkland, Kirkland's a progressive department. Uh, they got good leadership. They got, I mean, a, a really good, strong union president, good fire department, good history, very active at the IFF level. And what was concerning to all of us was is that if it's going to happen to Kirkland, it's probably going to happen to a lot of other people. 
And so it really kind of, like you said, slap in the face. It was, uh, it was definitely cold water put on us at 3 a.m. Absolutely. We, you know, we all talk about, you know, in Kirkland, you know, it's not going to happen to us, you know, as a fairly decent sized department, but it, it did happen to Kirkland. This shows that it can happen to anybody. So how did, how did they deal with it? I mean, cause how many at the initial stage when, when they started getting infected, the firefighters, how many got infected and how many were in quarantine initially? Yeah, initially about 17 and that number. And so that happened really quick. Like I mentioned, you know, as soon as, as soon as they had the death, they started to figure out. And again, progressive department, they were able to identify through tracking some of their run calls that they had been going to the same facility. And then all of a sudden they got the one death and then they got another death and they started looking they started putting kind of a common denominator and that facility was the common denominator. Then they backtracked and went and started pulling the uh, records up of who had responded there. And they put initially, I think it was 16 or 17 people in quarantine right away. Uh, And for them, I mean, that's pretty much, you know, a, a couple stations worth. And they actually took a station. They closed the station completely down, and they used that as a quarantine facility. Jeez, okay. So, I mean, I mean, that's pretty crippling, you know, for, for a department that size. I mean, I, I yeah. can only imagine even a department that, you know, the department that I work for, I mean, that would definitely, it, w- it would cause a lot of problems, you know, because it, it puts did. a strain on, on the community, it puts a strain on firefighters. You know, it's just, you know, talking to more people, you know, on one of our, our uh, other episodes in our podcast, we talked about PTSD. We always talk about that, you know, and the Dr. Rogers on here and he, he happened to ask me, you know, what, how is it stressful, you know, being, you know, COVID? I mean, are they getting PTSD from it? And I said, well, I mean, I'm sure eventually some firefighters may, but I think just the stress of knowing that you potentially, um, you know, have to respond to these calls and the stress of putting on masks and gowns and making sure you don't have it, making sure your your family's not going to get it if you get it. I mean, that's just adding stress to the job. Right. You know, I think that, yeah, I think you touched on it pretty good. I, for the most part, you know, we come into the fire service with, I think, a little bit of understanding that we potentially could, you know, have some exposures. You know, it's kind of at times the job can be very difficult. But what we, we kind of drew the line, I think most of us have said that, you know, how's the family impacted? We don't want to take what we've got. You know, if we were exposed on a fire to a carcinogen, you know, we, if we develop cancer as a, as a firefighter, our family's not going to get that because it's not contagious. Absolutely. Right? I mean, and, but, but you get this virus, something like this, where you could take home to your loved ones and a lot of families, depending on where you are in our country, you may have, you know, multiple generations in a household. You could have grandkids and grandparents still living with people. And both of those are on the very, you know, high ends of that spectrum, you know, older or maybe very, very young. So we, yeah, I think you're right, Robert. I think that's something PTSD hasn't manifested yet in that, you know, right away, but I think down the road it could, you know, we've been really pumping out kind of like that peer support groups, making sure that our members talk to each other and keep an eye on each other. We're tracking sickly to make sure that, you know, not for tracking sickly to see, you know, who's using it, but more or less to see if we see any trends related to how people, you know, a bad call, something went, you know, kind of different for a day for somebody. So, you know, we're doing those kind of things. Absolutely. So, I mean, as, as a great leader um, that they have in a the state, they're fortunate to have you. I mean, how, how, I mean, are they doing okay now in Kerlin? Are they, you know, are they, I mean, obviously they're being well taken care of, but I mean, are they recovering from the situation in February and, yeah, I think Kirkland, you know, again, is kind of, they described it kind of like that epicenter, right? That was the initial, you know, hit, you know, everybody had it, but, you know, you know, about 15 minutes uh, west of Kirkland's the city of Seattle, you know, it's, that's our biggest city in our state, uh, you know, and they had a number of people who also, who were in quarantine, 
based on pure numbers, I think they're around 950 members in their union. And I want to say, you know, somewhere around 30, 40 members of their department alone had tested positive. And so those are pretty good. Those are high numbers. Right. And uh, in some of the other departments in which, you know, on our east side of our state, we may have some, you know, combination departments, volunteer paid. And we get, you know, two positives out of a department of 10. And that can cripple that department. That's a big quick. hit. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see the recovering from it. I mean, and, and, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I mean, I think the, the rest of the United States, especially fire department wise, and I know I was paying attention uh, when you talked at our legislative conference and also when you had like the, the kitchen table with, with Harold, uh, Bear, general president, I, I was listening and I think we got a lot of information. I think I even called you about some issues yeah. we're having here in New Mexico. And, you know, we learned from you guys, you know, I mean, it was sad that it came to, to hit you guys first, but I, that's what firefighters do across the country is, you know, yeah. the brother and sisterhood, you know, the men and women that work in the fire service across the country definitely came out and, and helped each other out. And we learned from, from you guys and, and what you guys had to deal with. And you, know, you mentioned uh, the learning part. Uh, there was a couple of things we learned right away. Uh, one was that, you know, the IFF, you mentioned them, they, they put out that toolkit. And I think when I addressed the group back in DC on the legislative conference, you know, I had, you know, I kind of glanced the toolkit, but I didn't get into it. You know, quite honestly, I was looking at something like, this is a virus that's going to take place in China. It's going to stay over there. It's not going to manifest in the United States, you know, thinking that, you know, we're so much above those things. And it really hit us all. So that, I think that, uh, I don't want to say apprehension, but it was just really just not the, uh, I should have been much more aggressive. So that's something I learned. Uh, yeah. The other thing that I've taught, to, or I've taught, I've expressed to our executive board, we have 11 board members in the state of Washington geographically placed out there. And we do a lot of really good things. But one thing that we were not really deeply entrenched in was like our Department of Emergency Management. You know, because we, t- we do a lot of politics stuff. You know what that's, you know, sure, you get that. so we're, we're talking to the people. We're talking maybe to the, the uh, county directors or executives, um, but we didn't get into the Department of Emergency Management. We didn't have anybody who was able to get in Department of Health, um, you know, places like that where they're making some decisions that, you know, really we should have labor voice at. And so we really made a strong push in King County and King County has King County Medic One, which is probably one of the best in the country. They always talk about how good they are, and they are very good. Uh, we were able to crack that right away and get labor involved. We had two of our board members that got onto a conference call really from that first week on, and they, they, they valued our input because we were really the people out on the streets, and it made a big difference. So a couple of real lessons learned, things that we would do different, things we've talked about already for gearing up what comes up next, you know, I mean, or if we get a resurgence of this virus. We have to be prepared, at least in our state, to continue to keep moving forward. Uh, April 4th or so is when I think they kind of talked about us hitting our, our peak. Sure. Uh, it was about a week before, maybe 10 days before they had anticipated. And, uh, you know, we've done well. We've flattened out, as they described. That's the word everybody wants to use. And I caution even our state, and we talked about this, we have weekly uh, conference calls for our board, is that uh, flattening out doesn't mean the virus is gone. It Absolutely. still means that people are getting sick. It just at a, just at a pace that it doesn't overwhelm everything. And uh, the other unfortunate part is people still die. Right. And uh, and that's really that's the sad part because this is going to be around for a while for us. So. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. just the way it's looking. I mean, I think uh, just you know from 
just watching it and, and seeing, you know, of course, the news and everything else, it just, it's hard. Nobody's been able to predict what it's going to happen. We all, you know, like myself, I, I thought it was just a flu virus. Everybody's in a panic. But, I mean, even just being in the field and being on the fire truck, I see that it's not a panic. I mean, look what's happening in New York. I mean, how do you explain that? So, you across the country, you know, the numbers in some states aren't as high, but how do you explain New York? I mean, how do you explain, you know, their their morgues are full. You know, they're, they're having to get reefer trucks to, you know, put... You know, the body from, you know, people who are, you know, suffering, I mean, so who passed away or expired from the COVID-19 virus. So, I mean, it's real and it's out there, you know, but I, you know, I'm just hoping that, you know, with with the with the four stage plan that the, the states are having right now, that it's done correctly and, you know, we can work it out where it brings us down from that from that right. curve. Right. Have you, I know in the state of Washington, you know, I mentioned our four phases and part of that's putting our, you know, our state back you know, in service back to business kind of, you know, uh, I'm not sure how you guys are doing down there. The economics here, uh, a little concerning, you know, we have municipal fire departments and we have county fire departments, fire districts, and I work for a sure. fire district. It's, it's basically, it's, it's a city, there's counties, it's kind of a combination of a bunch of things. Uh, but, you know, I'll use Seattle as an example, you know, their hotels are running at 20% occupancy, if that right now. Uh, they canceled the entire Alaska cruise season, well, at least up until probably late August. And so they won't be running cruises out of there. Our airport's probably at 10 or 15%, you know, capacity. I mean, it's, it is completely crippled a lot of things. And so our municipalities who rely on tax dollars, really the sales, uh, that's going to be a significant problem for them as they move forward. Uh, and so, you know, we've talked about it using our DVP, uh, Ricky Walsh, uh, you know, trying to get some of the same things we teach when we do our PEP stuff, you know, in negotiations, starting to forecast, using our municipal financial analysis, you know, getting the IFF on board and making sure that, you know, we're preparing our people. We talked about maybe it's a really good time to maybe consider rolling contracts for one year instead of getting full blown into a deep contract negotiation and not knowing what the numbers look like as we move forward. You know, I'd hate for our members to give up stuff, and then things turn around rapidly. And on the other hand, I'd hate for us to say that we're going to get something and then have to give it back. Absolutely. I mean, yes, I mean, we're having the same problem here. So, I mean, you know, we have the city of Santa Fe, which is the capital of New Mexico. And, yep. um, you know, those the city firefighters, even the county firefighters in, the, in Santa Fe, they're struggling. I mean, because Santa Fe really relies on, on grocery seat tax, right? They rely on tourism. Tourism's huge in Santa Fe. And, you know, looking at the numbers, I mean, Talking about MFAs again, we're, we're getting into that and we're making sure they have a municipal financial analysis to see, you know, do they have money? And, you know, they don't have money <laughs> that's there. We can see it. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, if we're planning for the future and it's definitely, uh, you know, we're going to have to be creative on contracts and it is going to have to be a give and take in, the, in this situation, you know, especially right. if we know what the, exactly what the money is. And so it is concerning, you know, we, we start coming into brownouts and layoffs and, and hopefully we can prevent, you know, pay cuts and, and cutting our benefits. And, and we just had a huge uh, bill pass our, our last legislature, which is uh, funding our pension, which is good for, for firefighters. And, you know, here we are again, you know, having to hopefully it doesn't come up and we have to deal with that. You right. Know? So well, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, kind of legislation. When, how did you uh, how, how have you guys done on like any presumptive type coverage or anything like that? Well, we've we you know, so our legislature finished um, in February, you know, mid-February. So 
we we didn't get a chance to you know even even work on that issue, but we did have an executive order, and we have a great governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, here in New Mexico. She's pro firefighter, hundred percent, and so is our legislature, both our Senate and our House. Um, but we she we did come out with the next. She came out with an executive order, which basically uh, says that you know per our presumptive bill that we already had in place, it basically explains to the municipalities and the counties that if they get this on duty. You know, it's going to be presumptive. It's presumed that it happened on duty. So right. it kind of, you know, puts, you know, swings a bigger hammer, if you will, on that executive order. I mean, it's not what we wanted. It's not legislature because, you know, like I said, our, our legislative session was over, but it's something definitely we're already in the works. I just got off a, a Zoom call with my executive board and my presidents of my state. Um, and we talked about how important politics are now, right now at this time, because we're going to have to get the right people in there that understand firefighting, would understand, you know, what we've done, um, firefighters and what we're doing to, for them to make legislation that, that helps us for, you know, presumptive issues. Right. You know, we all know, Dennis, that, um, you know, we can actually say right now, and I could say with confidence that, you know, we weren't held up with these last couple of months because of the billionaires and the CEOs. We're held, we're held up because of the transit workers, you know, yeah. the semi-truck drivers, the factory workers, the firefighters, the healthcare workers, the police officers, you know. So it's the working, you know, men and women of, of the United States that, that kept us afloat, and they still are, you know. So I'm happy to say that for sure. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, you know, our governor, we have Governor Jay Inslee, and he's been very, you know, outspoken, you know, especially when this thing happened. You know, he, of course, Mike Pence, Vice President of the United States, flies out here and they have a conference call. And for the most part, everything went pretty well, you know. Uh, and then that information, of course, gets taken back to the White House. And unfortunately, you hear, you know, some comments made that probably aren't appropriate um, from the White House regarding our governor. Our governor's done a good job for us. He's very much been in our corner for a number of years. He was a former uh, um, state or I should say congressional member, you know, at one point in time, and he's dialed in on our issues and he did the same thing. Now, he didn't have an executive order, um, but he did. He put a policy down, policy directive through our state uh, labor and industry, our workers comp. And that's the way we're same way as uh, you are. Our legislative session had ended. Um, we will go back. We have language right now that's currently in place that says that infectious diseases and we also have language in there that talks about uh, respiratory, which COVID is very much a respiratory disease. And so we're going to go ahead and firm these up as we go back in. We've, uh, we've got a board of, they call it a board of epidemiology. It's our doctors uh, that are, you know, will be starting to work on this is, you know, turning the interim right now. So um, we've, got a, we've got a few things we've got to continue to work on. But I'm, I'm thankful that, like you said, we have good people, good support, our governor, our house, our Senate as well. Very good. Yeah, so we're, we're lucky here in New Mexico. Um, I hope other states learn from us and uh, learn from you. I mean, we, 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 uh, we definitely learning from you now. I mean, all the information you've gave out in our legislative conference, um, you know, just even being on the kitchen table with, with our general president. And, you know, I've been lucky to work with the 10th district also. I mean, DVP Lima's been great for us. Uh, we've had several uh, Zooms with probably like 160, 70 participants, and it was real informative. And some of the information they got, I know, is from, from you and from your state, so I appreciate that. You know, so I, I was just going to ask you, so, I mean, would, would you change anything on the way anything happened? I mean, we obviously, we're, we try to be prepared the most we can, but is there anything that, that you think uh, that we could change if we, we ever had another pandemic in the fire service? Um, yeah, I think, I think, like I mentioned, I think the, you know, we have focused so hard on the 
a political part of our state organization, you know, you know, working on our legislation where I think we needed to be much more entrenched into our communities. And it doesn't always have to be our, you know, our, our executive boards, you know, from our state groups, but our local, you know, need to take, you know, as an example, the city of Seattle, they have a department of emergency management just for the city of Seattle. And I know president Stewart from up there was trying to, you know, do those things to be, you know, have his members interest taken there, but that doesn't happen in all the different cities. And so that's one strong lesson we learned. The other one was just simply just to make sure that we have, you know, really good communication. And I, I think for the most part, we did really well. We tried to reach out. When we talked to the IFF, we wanted one consistent message. We wanted the IFF message. We wanted the seventh district message, which coincided with our state message, because we knew right away, if we start to go different ways, we're going to have problem. If we fracture, it shows little signs of weakness. And then probably the other thing that if I was to do something different, uh, maybe a little bit earlier on, maybe... <laughs> You know, treat it kind of like a fire incident where you actually have a command type system command board. You know, I, I, I took on probably more than I probably should have initially. Sure. Uh, I figured it took me it took me about maybe 14 days to figure out that this is not sustainable. Right. And we and all so would do I, that. I mean, as leaders, you know, as a leader, you're going to do that, you know. Yeah, so I really realized on a couple of board members, you know, our uh, vice president, uh, our secretary treasurer, and a couple of key board members just to, hey, can you do this? You know, our health and safety. We have a standing health and safety committee, and I really, I, put, I tasked him to do a lot of work, and he did a really good job. Kevin Rojecki is his name, fantastic guy to work with. Um, you know, just those little things like that. So the delegation, because like you said, we all want to do those kind of things and maintain, maintain the kind of a lot of our own work. So yeah, just little things. Um, Maybe uh, if I was probably, as we gear up, maybe just a little bit more uh, attention to what the IFF's putting out, just because they, they know, you know, like I said, I saw it, I read it, I just didn't think it was going to happen to us. Right. Yeah, we, we talked about that earlier. I mean, do we ever think it's going to happen to us? You know, that's, that's a part of the, you know, the issue that we have is, you know, we have tons of resources out there. We have tons of information but I mean, as firefighters, we we're constantly on training and, and yeah. online training and, and training in the field. I and mean, we just sometimes it's kind of, it becomes just a, you know, just, we just do it and go with the flow and just kind of just right. do it, you know? So I think that we need to start paying more attention to some of the stuff. I mean, even wearing, as far as wearing masks and gloves on yeah. duty on calls, I mean, we all knew we used to wear gloves, but we weren't real religious and doing what we're supposed to do in the first place. We were supposed to be wearing gloves and, and face masks anyways on calls. But I mean, there's yeah. a lot of times that we weren't doing it. We, we, we lacked on it. So it definitely woke us up. Gave no, us a wake up call. That's a good point too, is, you know, the PPE part is that, you know, I think it's important for people to realize that the, the individuals in Kirkland, you know, had the appropriate gear on for the type of call, you know, uh, they got, they got dispatched to like a blo low blood sugar call. Now, yeah. How many of us would wear, you know, a gown, the, the whole bit, right? None. Well, they get there and the person was in, basically, they were unconscious, unresponsive. So they had to begin CPR and they didn't have time to put all their gear on. That was one right. example. The other example was a patient that fell out of bed. Well, they fell out of bed because they were, unfortunately, they had passed away. They were, so they get there, they work on them. Um, but I think, you know, from the fire service standpoint, maybe we need to look a little bit different instead of N95 masks. Uh, maybe we should go to a different mask that has cartridges, like an APR. Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, we went to those things early on. Um, so everybody has issued an APR, a little bit more money, um, but the cartridges are good for a very long period of time. Uh, you decon them, they're quicker to get back in service. 
um, than most anything else. And so I think that would be helpful. Um, you know, just, you know, what are we wearing? You know, I mean, is the type of, you know, gear that we wear, you know, on an EMS call, is that appropriate? Does a gown give us the best protection? So I think those are the kind of things, you know, and, and I'm, I'm glad, you know, Pat Morrison from the IFF and if Jim uh, Brinkley and a few other people are just, you know, they're starting to look into those different things. So. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, definitely, you know, when this is hopefully it ends um, and we get a vaccine or some kind of yeah. something to help us out with. Um, but I, I think, you know, we're going to come up with these ideas, what's better, you know, what worked, what didn't. We're all going to learn from our own mistakes, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. But that's just kind of the way life is in general, right? Right. Um, so just one last thing, you know, so how's the firefighters out there as far as mentally? Are, are they, you know, are they holding together? Are you seeing any kind of difference? I know we talked about the stress of them. Yeah, I, I think for the most part, you know, again, the um, – the unknown is the worst part, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, you go to a fire call and you got it in front of you and you, you know, you pull your line, you know, you, whether you're a fire attack or you're doing an exposure or whatever it is, you, you got something, you know, what you're dealing with this one, you just don't know. And, right. uh, I think for the most part, you know, you know how a firehouse can be. I think a lot of times, you know, you can feel the dynamics, you know, you can feel when there's tension in the air in a fire station. Uh, and some of that is because, uh, you know, people are just not really sure, you know, what's going on. And like I said, we've utilized our peer support, you know, you know, support teams to make sure that they're, you know, reaching out, talking to people, putting things out. We actually started, you know, in different organizations, mine included, brought back a safety week a little bit earlier. So we had, because, you know, uh, just some time to make sure people are staying really focused on themselves. Um, our call volume's down. I'm not sure about you guys, but we're down about 20% here. And I think that is because people don't want to go to the hospital right now because I think they're fearful that if they go to the hospital, they'll catch a virus from somebody already there. Absolutely. So, yeah. Is that kind of what you've experienced as well? Yeah, the definitely the call volume is down. And I think, yeah, I mean, they're staying home where, you know, most people are um, and taking it serious. And, yeah, I think that, you know, we, we do, when we respond to calls, I mean, a lot of them are, they're, they're saying, I don't want to go to the hospital because I don't want to, you know, be, you know, catch COVID or coronavirus. And so, and, and that makes a lot of sense, you know, so I think um, that also shows that, you know, sometimes maybe not everybody needs to go to the hospital like they think they should, you know, because they're totally fine after that. You know, we've been saying that for a long time. Right. And, you know, and don't get me wrong, you know, it's an honor for me to be a firefighter, but, you know, sometimes we, we got to, we got to definitely look, is this something that I really need to go to the hospital for? I mean, because, yeah. It, you know, it, it was really causing a, a huge backlog in some of our, our hospitals here in, in, in Albuquerque and in New Mexico that, you know, yeah. but I, I think people are realizing now that maybe they didn't, you know, they don't need to go to the hospital all the time. I, I think you're right. I think you're right on that. Yeah. But, you know, definitely, I just, I just wanted to thank you. I, I know uh, you have, you know, you have a family with career firefighters, your, your brother and your father is also a firefighter. We're, we're firefighters are retired, right? My, my brother is active down in Vancouver. My dad was local uh, 31 in Tacoma. He passed away. It's been a number of years now. Oh, sorry. But he was, uh, it's okay. He was he was uh, a tillerman for years, you know, some good fire calls. Uh, you know, I've got great memories of hanging out at the fire station when I was really little, you know, going down there and uh, playing basketball with all the guys and doing those kind of things. And then he moved up. He went into the fire marshal's office and retired as a fire marshal for the department. So. Very cool, man. So you come from a line of firefighters, and your brother's in yeah. Canada, right? Doing being a firefighter. No, no, Vancouver, Washington. Oh, Vancouver, Washington. Okay, my apologies. Yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah. nice, man. Well, 
thanks, Dennis. You know, it's always been a pleasure. I, you know, I like talking to you every time we talk. We we have a you know a good conversation, and I miss having yeah. a beer with you, man. And when you see yeah. you we're instructing, and we'll 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 get back together and we start being instructors again in the United States. Hopefully, we start traveling. Yeah, so. I'm hoping that uh, the IFF convention still goes off. You know, me too. Um, you know, I'm not sure what that's going to look like or how we're going to do it, but. Uh, I'm sure if we get back there together, it'd be nice to tip a beer and say hi to you. Absolutely. Yeah, and you're always welcome in New Mexico. Come and have a beer. Hope you and your family's doing well. You too, buddy. And uh, thanks again for, for the information. Uh, we definitely yeah. learned Anything something. Let me know if I can give you something. I'm more than happy to share it. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. All right. Take care. You too. So Thanks. signing off from uh, from Firefighter Kingdom, you know, I'd like to thank Vince Trujillo. He's a mastermind behind all this. Uh, he's he's the one that makes everything happen. He just makes me look good. I know that's hard to do. So uh, thank you, Vince, for helping us out in this uh, uh, podcast with uh, Dennis Lawson, president of uh, Washington State Council Firefighters. So happy to be here, Robert. Thank you for including me. Thank you for having you, uh, being on, Dennis, and sharing so much uh, valuable information. I think not only firefighters, but the people who support firefighters, their families, community, and also um, the, the locals will get a lot out of this information. So uh, th- thanks, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in too. And we want you to feel free to subscribe, hit the like button, and also share this podcast to other people you know that would be interested. All right, so signing off, uh, that's it for Firefighter Kingdom. Thanks for being in the Kingdom, firefighters and community. Thank you, Dennis, for uh, being on the podcast. It's it's always an honor having you on here, a leader like yourself, uh, educating firefighters across the the nation. And again, thanks to Vince Trujillo. He's the mastermind behind everything. You, You know, he makes me look good. I know it's a hard job. Again, signing off. Thanks again, Dennis. All right, thank you.